How old are stars in the universe? Welcome to Answers News for Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. I'm Roger Patterson, and I'm joined today by Rocket Rob down there on the end. That's me. And Tim Chafee here in the middle. We've got the two giants and the little guy <laughs> over <me>. there. Yeah. <laughs> got my We're slingshot gonna, ready. I don't think you need to tell him which one it was. <laughs> yeah. In case you haven't figured it out. We're going to be discussing uh, some discoveries astronomers have made out at the edge of the universe looking at distant galaxies and the gases that are contained in them, plus a bunch of other stories of interest today. So let's jump right into that first story. The title is, Astronomers Say They've Spotted the Universe's First Stars. So this comes to us from the astronomers using the James Webb Space Telescope. We've had a lot of stories. Uh, This telescope hasn't even been up in space for even a year yet, and we've had lots of news items coming out of this. Uh, Lots of astronomers are jockeying for time to get a little bit of time to use the data collected from this to look at distant parts of of our universe. Um, Not our galaxy, we're going way beyond that, looking way out to the edges of the universe. And here, these astronomers are making some claims that are kind of a little overstated in this title, and that's something we've got to be aware of as we look at popular news items. Um, This says astronomers say they have spotted the universe's first stars, but the actual scientists who are quoted here inside of this article are a little more tentative as they talk about this. And we we think about the types of stars that are around. Um, They they classify these into population one and two and three stars. And so these earliest stars in the Big Bang cosmology are called population stars, and they've supposedly found these, right, Rob? Yeah, I think you get a star for that uh, explanation there, Roger. Nice job. So I think Tim's actually the uh, astronomer expert here, yes. right? So, <laughs> no, so those no, that don't know, uh, James Webb Space Telescope, I think it launched December 2021. So it's been in orbit um, a little over a year, but it hasn't been taking data for that yeah, long. I think it started functioning. taking those images around last summer, July-ish. Uh, time frame. And essentially all of it, the, the main goal of it is essentially that they think that when they're looking far out into the, into the universe, they're actually taking baby pictures of the universe is what they're saying, right? So they're saying that um, because it took so long for the light to travel from these galaxies to us, and then uh, when we're looking at these galaxies that are billions of light years away, they think they're, look, they're looking billions of, of years in the past. But yeah, I think, so distance equals time, basically. Yeah, so essentially what, that's what it comes down to. And I think that's really what the confusion comes from is a light year is a unit of distance and not time. So again, it's all based on that Big Bang interpretation. You even have some Christians like Hugh Ross who will say things. He's an old earth creationist, believes the earth is billions of years old. He just puts the Big Bang cosmology into that. And he'll say things like astronomy is the only science where you're directly observing the past. No, you're looking at the present. You're looking at the light in the Mm -hmm. present as it's traveled through space and you're making a bunch of assumptions about Mm -hmm. What happened to it? Assumption upon assumption upon assumption. And really in that Big Bang story, what they think is what happened in the very early universe, you had these young stars, which are called population three stars. And essentially they they contain what's called the building blocks. They have just hydrogen, helium, maybe little bits of lithium. And then over time, those would would compress together. They would go through what's called nuclear fusion to then produce these heavier elements like carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, that would then supernova and then produce more stars and more galaxies over time. So what they're trying to do in order to prove their Big Bang uh, idea, I don't like calling it a theory because it's not a theory, it's really more of an idea. Um, They're trying to look for these population three stars that have really been elusive for a long time. They haven't been able to find them. And so uh, I actually talked to our resident, Danny, Resident astronomer Danny Faulkner about Our resident this. Danny. Yeah, <laughs> resident astronomer Dr. Danny Faulkner on this, and um, his his take is yeah, these population three stars that 
they've been so elusive. So anytime there's a possibility of finding these stars, it makes this groundbreaking news. And that's why we're seeing so much of this attention today. But actually, one of the things that they did not mention in this article is James Webb's actually been finding the opposite. So when a lot of these images came out the first day they came out, they've actually been finding a lot of the heavier elements in these galaxies that are super far away, oxygen, nitrogen, that shouldn't be there. Obviously, they don't state that yeah, in, in, their, the in their paper because it doesn't match what their story is, and that's really what it comes down to. All right, well, now let's let the astronomy expert talk about these. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. One of, Roger mentioned their yeah. first story. There's a lot of storytelling in here. My favorite quote is uh, from one of the astronomers. It said, we exist, therefore we know there must have been a first generation of stars. Um, so what she's doing, she's assuming... In order for us to exist, the Big Bang had to have happened like they believe. And, and so there it's had just, to have been some stars that came first. It's a faith statement. Yeah. It really is just a faith statement. Right. And yeah. when I think back to when I believed that story. I was trained and believed as an evolutionist. This is just a cosmological evolution story that then leads to a geological evolution story that then leads to a biological evolution story. It's just this chain of evolution that's what I thought. I had to have, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had faith in the Big Bang being mm -hmm. true to accept all of those things. It really is a religious belief. And so you have to understand when you're reading articles like this, you have to understand that they've already rejected God and his word. And they're looking for any possible naturalistic type of worldview explanation on the origins of our universe, trying to take God out of the picture. And that's really what we're seeing here today. And because they can't find these population three stars, it's actually, like we said, a huge problem for the Big Bang story. But it is consistent with biblical creation because biblical creation says that God created everything around us. He created all the stars, all the galaxies on day four. He spoke them into existence. So we would expect to find these galaxies that are super far away, that are fully formed, that have heavier elements in them. Um, so I, either way, I think a lot of these these uh, images and explanations and data coming from James Webb actually confirms biblical creation like we see again and again. Anytime science is making you these advancements, it's, it's confirming God's creation, the biblical account in Genesis. But, but Rob, isn't building a universe really hard? It is. That's in the next one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah. next one uh, ties right into this, and the title comes to us from Space no, the Big Bang Theory is not broken. Here's how we know. And a lot of these uh, early articles and the early images and things that came on the heels of the first images that were released from the James Webb Space Telescope were saying, oh, no, there's too much um, matter in these galaxies. They're, they're too massive. The stars are too big. There's too many elements. The Big Bang must be broken. And we read a bunch of those headlines, and there was concern. And um, when we think about the way they're analyzing these things, we always talk about observational science versus historical science. So the observational science side, and when we do things in the chemistry lab and with the physics students, we do spectroscopic analysis. We take the light and we break it down through a diffraction grating and look at the components. Nobody's ever been to the sun. Nobody's ever been to these stars. How do we know what they're made out of? Well, we take the light that's coming from them, we pass it through a grating, and we look at basically the fingerprints that God's put into each chemical element and these distinct lines uh, from the electromagnetic spectrum that show up in these fingerprints from these elements. So just like we've all got unique fingerprints, every element has unique fingerprints. And so in the previous article, they're looking at helium-2 ions. And then in this article, it talks about spectroscopic redshift and how we're looking at distances and all of these pieces. So we can agree with a lot of the um, observational data analysis and what they're concluding about that. But then they take that information and it's the interpretation of that data 
that we're going to have a problem with. And I think they still do have a broken theory here. Yeah, yeah, they do. And that's actually, um, if you guys aren't familiar, so like, like we were saying in the, in the previous article here, a lot of these images started coming out last summer. And when they started coming out, all of a sudden saw these Big Bang uh, theories broken, articles that are out there. And I remember Danny Faulkner actually mentioned this last year. We need to be careful with that because actually what they're going to do is they're not going to rethink it. They're actually going to double down onto their Big Bang theory because that's really what it comes down to. If the evidence doesn't fit their worldview, they're going to figure out a way to reinterpret it. Like we said, all the time, there is no neutrality. You can't just come to the evidence in a neutral fashion. Everyone has a worldview in which that we interpret the evidence. And that's what we're seeing here um, with, with this type of uh, issue. So they're creating rescuing devices. Yeah, yep, that's a fancy word. We're coming up with the rescuing devices. And so again and again, what, what we're seeing here is um, it's not that, the, that they're finding galaxies in the distant, faraway reaches of the universe. It's that they're, they're fully formed. They're not in the process of assembly. They're way too large than they should be. And so essentially what they do is they say, well, I guess these galaxies are forming really fast, faster than we thought. And so that's really what it comes down to. So they go back to their models. They try to retweak the numbers to then make the evidence fit the data. Like, so wait, we say wait they the haven't time. observed all of these things forming and happening? Well, and, they, they and have on the computer. Oh, yeah. So a lot of this is all on computer there. simulation models. So anytime you see this, know that they're, they're, because obviously we can't be building, they even say that too. They even say uh, building galaxies is really hard. And obviously it is for man, right? <laughs> yeah, we can't do it. Not for an almighty God who spoke these things into existence uh, he, during he that first day. Also. Yeah, he made Sounds the stars like really also. <laughs> it's kind of like an afterthought. Yeah. I mean, you, you, if you just think about it, and, they, and I think the latest estimate I saw was like, Two billion trillion stars, or something like that. What they're estimating in the universe—it's just like this countless number of stars that they're thinking in the universe. And the great thing is, our God, our Almighty God, He's numbered, He's named every single one of those stars—a countless number of stars. It just again shows the power of our Creator. Yeah, and when we think about the modeling that they have to do here, all of the complexities that go into their their idea of what happened in the Big Bang and how stars formed. We've got to take into account gravity and star formation and gas pressures and elemental collisions and transformations and fusion reactions and dust distribution and cosmic rays and supernovas. All these things have to be put in. And so we put all those factors into this big algorithm and we tweak the knobs and adjust it. And we can get galaxies that could have been this big, this tiny, all the way up to this huge. And this seems to fit, and they didn't quite fit the first time, so they went back and adjusted some numbers, looked at the measurements again, reevaluated the data, came back, oh, yeah, it does fit now. And it's just this plastic model that's going to fit whatever data they want to. Yeah. They're not going to throw out the Big Bang. Okay? Just like, as a Christian, I trust God's Word to be the absolute authority in my life. I'm not going to lay aside the Bible. They're putting their trust and their faith in this naturalistic model to explain how the universe came about. I'm putting my trust in the triune God of the Bible to explain how this came That's about. That's really the root cause. That's really the root issue here. Are we putting our authority in man's word versus God's word? The fallible shifting opinions of man or the, sh- the, the non-shifting, the solid rock of God's foundation? That's really what it comes down mm-hmm. to. Now, we've got a couple of books over there that aren't necessarily the Bible, but they're written by uh, our staff astrophysicist, Danny Faulkner. You want to hold Astronomer, those up Astronomer, yeah. Our, yeah our so resident Danny. Resident <laughs> Danny, that's right. <laughs> I, I think he's the only Danny, right? I mean, well, we got a lot of Danny. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this one, first one's called The Created Cosmos, and it actually is paired with this one called The Expanse of Heaven. Danny does a really good job just talking about um, 
the, the biblical cosmology, how astronomy fits into the Bible. And, and he also I'll talks... Just, I've read this one, and I'm not an astronomy expert at all. They were joking yeah. about that. Yeah, you don't need and a PhD. I under, he did a good job of yeah. explaining it in a, in a way that I could understand. Yeah, you don't so. need a PhD in astronomy to really understand it, to really understand a lot of the arguments that are in here. He also talks a lot about the Big Bang, the evolutionary assumptions that go into a lot of these models. So if you guys want to learn more about that, uh, jump onto our uh, website. You can order those online or come on down to the museum. And for you who are at the museum, yeah. they're in the bookstore. You guys, yeah. <laughs> Our audience can grab those right off the shelves. All right, totally shifting gears. Uh, there's only one way for the one million embryos stuck in frozen orphanages to make it out alive, adoption. Uh, so the image we're seeing here is the process of bringing the sperm into the egg and an embryo being created in what we call test tube babies or in vitro fertilization. And this process has created over the years a very staggering number of embryos that are basically in cryogenic suspension. They're frozen in liquid nitrogen in storage facilities. So this technology has been around for decades. And as uh, couples have chosen to pursue this to uh, deal with fertility issues or for other reasons, uh, they'll create a large number of embryos because not every embryo that they seek to put into the woman is going to implant and, and they're doing a lot of them for financial reasons and all these different things. And it's created this large pool of human beings that are basically frozen in these containers. And this article is bringing out some of the concerns with that, uh, especially in the, in the light of Roe v. Wade and those decisions. We'll have an article on that a little bit uh, coming up next, actually. But there's some real ethical issues uh, dealing with what's been termed snowflake adoptions and snowflake babies as we think about those things. Yeah, we know somebody, who, or I know several people who've gone through this. In fact, I remember meeting a, a, a little girl one time who was, um, she was a snowflake baby and was younger than my son the way we would normally count it, but was actually like eight years older than my son, which is, it was really strange. And you get situations like that, but um, I, I have a friend who's, who's gone through this procedure as well, adopting the embryos, and uh, often what happens is they'll, they'll try several of them as they thaw them out and everything. You and a lot of times only one or maybe two will, yes. will implant, and so you're going to lose several of those as well. And uh, so these little lives come to an end at that point, you know, physical lives. But um, so I asked, you know, how do you deal with that? And he said, you know, for me, it's they're stuck in, in this freezer uh, basically until Christ returns, uh, you know, because unless somebody adopts them and gives them a chance at life, that's what we're doing. We're, we're giving them a chance at life. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, that's... I think that's probably the right way to look at it if you're, if you're coming at it from the side of adopting them. But the people yeah. who are continually producing these, that, that's, where we that's get a different a concern. Yes, yeah, so I concern. want to make sure that's clear here. We're not condemning these IVF procedures, but we are condemning the practice of making all of these new humans to then be discarded or put into a freezer or all these different, different options. We, we want to make sure that we're using technology to the glory of God, and we're doing it responsibly. Is what That's it because in the article brings out that life begins at conception, but we need to define that biblically, right, Rob? And that yep, conception is, is, is an important idea that we need. Yeah, to so over and over clear. again in this article, they continue to say life begins at conception, life begins at conception, but I kept thinking, well, why? And what does that mean? How do we actually define that? Because actually, if you look at it, the meaning of conception has changed definitions. So that's, what, that's why we say all the time here, life begins at fertilization rather than conception because they've changed 
change the meaning of conception to mean implantation into the uterine wall rather than the moment where the sperm and the egg meet together. The information, no new information is added from that point in time moving forward. And we know also biblically speaking from Psalm 139 that God forms us together in our mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 also says, uh, before, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God knows you before you're even formed. So no child is ever a mistake. No boy or girl is ever an accident. And that's what we say here all the time that killing an innocent human being in the womb, a child in the womb at any stage is murder. It is, it is child sacrifice. That's what we say all the time here. And that's why we're so passionate about this is because every single one of those human beings is made in the image of God and deserving of protection. And by the way, if you guys haven't checked out our new Fearfully Wonderfully Made exhibit here, definitely highly check it out. Got some great writing from uh, this, this guy in the exhibit. So if you guys haven't been to the museum yet, highly encourage you guys. One of the most powerful pro-life exhibits, I think, in the world. So, and even in that exhibit, we show the two <coughs> different versions of Stedman's medical dictionary where they change that definition. Here's yep, the one where exactly here's how conception thinking. has traditionally been defined. And, and just like six years later, here's yep. the new definition. And under that new definition, these little embryos, they have not been conceived yet. And so when you continue to use that word, because the way they've shifted definitions, mm-hmm. they, they use that for all sorts of things, morning after pill, and all, to justify all of that, because there's no conception yet. Well, So these aren't living humans in these in tanks. In that definition, in this right. Definition. That's but how they get around. there has yeah. been fertilization already. They yeah. are alive, and they're human and in, beings. And in the context of this image. story, the, the family who adopted and, and talks about through this, they obviously understand that, and they're using it in that sense. And right. they, they talk about how this is really a picture of the gospel, uh, they, they see this as an opportunity. Now, they, they adopted these 20 embryos when they thawed them out. Sadly, only six of them survived. And then of those, they were willing to implant or to um, try to take all of those. Only one of them actually implanted and grew. And now they have a daughter named Hannah. And she's an advocate for these types of things. So mm-hmm. really, it's a picture of the gospel because as Scripture uses that imagery of being adopted into God's family in multiple ways, we can use these types of things to help point people to the truth of them being made in the image of God, them being fallen in Adam and being in need of redemption in Christ. Well so these are all, all good pointers that we can bring people back to the gospel. It's also a really giant baby in the exhibit. We always say it's Tim when he was a baby. Uh, right? Well, that. it is based on, it's life-size. <laughs> life-size. <laughs> and we've got a, a great new resource that was produced by Dr. Purdom and mm-hmm. uh, Stacia McKeever, uh, Crafted by God. It's a great family book. Uh, you can walk this through. A lot of activities. Um, with my new grandbaby will definitely be getting a copy yeah. of this, and <laughs> she will be enjoying that, teaching her all about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so great resource for your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, to use uh, maybe for your church library, uh, share those things. Absolutely. And this next story points us to that need for that redemption. California will expedite licensing process for nurses willing to perform abortions. Uh, So pointing back to the reversal of the Roe v. Wade uh, Supreme Court ruling on abortion, we got to pound this home again. Roe didn't stop abortion. It just returned it to the states. And as we look at that battle continuing in California, Governor Newsom and his administration continue to push for uh, the funding of people to come into their state and provide for those things, even if it's illegal in the states that they're coming from. And this new initiative, which was put into uh, effect in uh, the legislature last year and has been signed into law and now taken effect at the first of this year, allows for nurses and other practitioners 
who want to agree to perform abortions to basically be bumped to the head of the line in the licensure procedures. Yeah, it's, it's it like to. they're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to procure abortions to, and even as far as the, the medical personnel, make it as easy as possible for nurses to be able to perform this. They have a mm -hmm. series of bills where one of them allows nurse practitioners to perform abortions without the supervision of a doctor. Another one prohibits law enforcement from arresting someone for aiding in an abortion. Another one prevents civil or financial penalties. Another one erases the idea of an illegal abortion. I mean, they're doing everything they can to have as many abortions as possible. Remember when they used to say safe, legal, and rare? Yeah. Well, Gavin Newsom seems like he's saying we want as many as possible and we're going to make the, the taxpayers in California Safe, pay for it. Even if, common. even if they're coming from other places, yeah. come on over. We want to yeah. kill your baby. But, Rob, this is just abortion care. That's how it's described in yeah. the article, right? Yeah, you see that over and over again, those euphemisms, just this reproductive rights. You hear that all the time, right? It's just health care. But really, I, I think of Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who call the destruction of little boys and girls health care. Woe to those who call the murder of innocent children, reproductive rights. It's not that. And actually, whenever I read articles like this, I just think about Romans 1 happening right before our eyes. I mean, they're giving over to this debased mind. It also reminds me of Proverbs 836, that those who hate God ultimately love death. That We're living in a culture of death right now, a culture that's at war with God. And I also just think of Psalm chapter 2, whenever I think of uh, Governor Newsom here, that God judges wicked rulers and that he will have to stand before a holy and just God. He's going to have to give an account for his life uh, and for everything that he's done. So we pray for his repentance every single day. You know, continue to pray that God transforms his heart to protect these innocent children. And the other point I want to make sure that I, I get to get, get across here is this is actually just the symptom of the root cause that's happening around here. Essentially, we're seeing a culture that has rejected God and his word. And so by default, when you reject God's word, then man's word becomes the ultimate authority. Once man's word becomes the ultimate authority, then anything goes. And so you see that, you know, uh, Human children in the womb, they're no different than cats, dogs, rocks. We're all just the same stuff. So spare cats, spare kids, what's the difference in that worldview? Except for most of the time that you have stiff penalties for killing a little, a little animal. So you even see that inconsistency right. that they're worshiping the, worshiping the creation. And that's really what the root cause is. You know, it's, this is the symptom of the root cause of the rejection of God's word. We've got to get back to biblical foundation. We've got to get back to trusting God and his word starting in Genesis, which says... All of these children are made in the image of God, and that's why they're deserving of protection. All right, we'll move through these next two stories relatively <laughs> quickly. Uh, reporting again on this idea of scientists are reincarnating the woolly mammoth to return in the next four years. So this is kind of an update on uh, things that we've talked about in the past. So this company called Colossal, based out of Texas, I believe, yep. mm -hmm. uh, they are going to undergo a mammoth gene editing project. <laughs> See what that I was a mammoth there. of a fun there. <laughs> so they're going to be looking, <laughs> taking uh, the genetic uh, information from the woolly mammoth, which we've been able to recover basically intact from frozen carcasses that have been found in the Arctic, and uh, make an embryo, implant that into an African elephant, elephant, and then have that calf born. And the goal is then to repopulate them somewhere in the Arctic, but the ulterior motive is they're going to help with climate change. Yeah. Oh, of course. I watched yeah. an interview with, yeah. the, with the CEO, I think he is, of, of this company and, um, a couple of weeks ago before I knew we were even doing an article on this. But uh, that was his angle the whole time, that this is going to help with climate change. Because if you're reintroducing these species that have gone extinct that were supposed to be part of that environment, but now because of something humans have done or whatever, they're gone. If mm -hmm. we can put them back in, that'll help. Um, 
that's probably a lot of storytelling on his part just to help increase the funding. Yeah. What they're trying to do, I yeah. think it's, they call it de-extinction. De de it's pretty cool. I mean, if they're able to bring back a mammoth, they're also trying to bring back the dodo and I the thylacine, which I is the Tasmanian tiger. Steaks taste like that's my I main too, goal yeah. in all of this. What's a mammoth steak? <laughs> <laughs> well, like don't hurt the first me. one that they bring back. Wait till there's a few of them. It all sounds pretty hairy to me. I don't know. All right, this Harry. next one, a uh, pretty, cool, <laughs> pretty cool biblical story. King David's name uncovered in a 2,900-year-old stone slab. Uh, so this is the Misha steel or the Moab stone. So we have a, uh, this was from 1868 when this was uncovered and then it was damaged. But we've got some new uh, revived technology that allows us to peek into these things. So you're, you're kind of the, the expert on these ancient artifacts. He does uh, astronomy and archaeology. <laughs> he's, he's, he's amazing. Well, you know, when I was in Israel and Dead Sea, I could look across at yeah, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, Actually, whatever. I have read yeah, yeah. both times that are there. But, um, yeah, so this is, like Roger said, it's an older discovery. We've known about the Misha Stella for quite a while, and there's been debate about whether or not it actually mentions David because it does... It seems like it, but the word is broken, you know, in the middle of there. But they were able to do some impressions and then some high-resolution photography and lighting and everything and actually recover what that said. And it did actually mention David, which is no surprise to us. We know David was a real person. God Wait, tell us. if this wouldn't have said David, David didn't exist. No, because we yeah. still have to tell Dan still. Oh, but, <laughs> but more importantly. But, but God's yeah. word tells us God's that David Obviously, we, we, we don't um, need this evidence to know that David existed. We know because of God's word. But it is helpful when you have so many people who, for a long time, archaeologists were, have taught, many archaeologists, and many people were taught that archaeology disproves the Bible. And yet what we're seeing time and time and time again is archaeology confirms the Bible. Just a, you know, a month ago, we were covering a story about Hezekiah yep. and the, the tunnel there and the, the, the inscriptions that were found that are, it's almost like you're reading right out of the Old Testament about his works and the things that he did. And this is something that was, that was carved 700 years before Christ. And it, so you have that inscription. And so all the things that we see in the Bible being described, those things that can be checked out, we see time and time and time again that the Bible's exactly right, which is no surprise to us because it's God's word and it's true from the beginning yeah, to the end. Absolutely. Okay. All right, our last story takes us down south to Atlanta. Pastor Andy Stanley draws praise and criticism for asserting gay churchgoers have more faith than I do. So uh, we've mentioned um, Andy Stanley in the context of denying uh, biblical authority in the areas of evolution and some other teachings dealing with the authority of scripture and how to how to deal with those things before. Uh, so this is just another instance where he's come out and some of these teachings are kind of evident in a video going clear back to 2012 and we've we've pointed out those things as well. But there's really kind of a, a key passage in here, uh, Tim, if you want to read that quote from him, that relates this issue in a way that raises the alarm. Right. So he says, a, a gay person who still wants to attend church after, what they, after the way they've been treated, I'm telling you they have a, more faith than I do. The, they have more faith than a lot of you. Now, and it, that's where we got to throw that To explain a little bit, <laughs> so what he, I wouldn't use the word faith in that sense. What he's talking yeah. about is somebody who is going to a place where they, they believe a lot of people are going to reject them or to disagree with them or okay. say, you know, you don't belong here, that kind of thing. That, that's an assumption because I don't know that there's a lot of churches who actually would do that. But yeah. So we can probably talk about that. He's saying that they have a lot of courage or gumption maybe to go into that environment. And in, in one sense, if that's... If if you can believe all the motives and the way he's describing it, yes. But I wouldn't describe that as faith. Um, 
and yeah, courage or boldness or but, but but so many of the what's been coming out makes it sound like he's willing to affirm those people in an unrepentant way. And you've got a passage of scripture over there for us, Rob. Yeah, he mentions time at. and time again throughout his sermon about the clobber passages, the so-called so-called clobber passages. And I, I just want to read one of those passages that he was and, quoting here, First Corinthians. And how much you can just clobber people with this, right? I mean, how yeah, mean-spirited that's, that's, it is. That's essentially what he means there. So if you guys aren't familiar with it, it's something that the, the LGBT community tries to use and tries to reference this. So this one here says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But I want you guys to listen closely to this next verse. So anyone that's struggling with same-sex attraction, this is the hope. It says, as such were some of you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so really, that's what we should be doing as, as the church, as Christians. We should be loving, we should be supporting these people that are struggling with these same-sex attractions. But at the same time, it's not loving to conceal the truth, is what the mm-hmm. Bible says. We need to be speaking the truth in right. love. Yeah, and I'm in that passage. I, I may not have that particular sin struggle, but the other sins that are mentioned there, those identify me before Christ, yeah, but such sin. was I. I yeah. can find myself in those passages just like mm-hmm. all of you can mm-hmm. if you're honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a passage of hope. And yeah. so rather than looking for affirming this lifestyle that the Bible identifies as sin, we need to be coming alongside them and pointing yeah, them exactly. to the hope that they have in Christ, that they because can we be don't, becoming a new creation about, in Christ. There's not a big push in the, in the modern church to do that with a lot of the other sins listed. No, they're, they're not yeah. saying, you know, for the idolaters, oh, yeah, let's just affirm them and what they do, because that's what they really want to do. And so, yeah, they have more faith than a lot of you because they're coming here, even though they really want to do idolatry. I mean, we don't say that, but for some reason, because it's culturally, there's even, so much cultural pressure to do that when it yeah. comes to LGBTQ. Even for Vikings fans? <laughs> oh, man, here we go. Is that a heresy? Yeah. I, yes, Jesus died on the cross for them. Too. Even okay. for the Viking fans right here. But I think the bottom so the line is, fan first, is then, uh, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think what's sadly that's what's what's been happening with so many of these mega churches, these mega church pastors. They're bowing down to the culture, but as Christians, well, let's not take our cues from a culture that's at war with God. Let's stand on the authority of Scripture in every single area. And I, just to clarify, I don't think it's just mega church. I think I think you see it across the spectrum: small yeah. church, medium church, yeah. large you see church. It all There's over a the lot place. of people and who are struggling, who are trying to be relevant in some ways. And sometimes I think they're their motives, they think they're being loving by doing that, but it's not loving to conceal the truth. And really, that is the root cause, I think, is it's the lack of biblical authority is really what it comes down to. I mean, anytime you have a little crack in the door, it's going to get wider and wider and wider. I mean, you compromise on one little little thing, it's going to be a lot harder not to down the road as well. Yeah, and that's why we have to constantly be looking back to the cross, looking for that Mm -hmm. hope in Christ, and that's what our ministry is all about. It's not about defending the science and all of those things. It's about doing those things that we, so that we can point to that hope that we have in Christ. Amen. All right, a, f- a couple of final things uh, to point you to. Our ministry loves to help kids grow in their faith and grow in their understanding of the world around them and the Word. Uh, we offer our Explore Days and Explore Junior Days here at the Creation Museum and down at the Ark Encounter. So these are hands-on science education days. Uh, I do physical science and chemistry and some other things, and we've got uh, forensics and paleontology and dinosaurs, and we've got rockets coming up in the future right. with, with Rob. Do you do, like, space travel someday? <laughs> One day. One day we're going to work that in there. So uh, <laughs> if you've fun. got kids in the age,
ages of 11 to 18. You can look at those Explore Days and then the juniors for ages 5 to 10. You can find out more about those on our uh, creationmuseum.org page and look for that Explore tab or under the Education tab. And then in the summertime, we offer our camps where it's an intensive time where they come uh, for a week-long period and they come during the day for these three- or five-day camps. Uh, so we've got a forensics camp and we've got our uh, regular camp where they do a different topic each day and work through through all those different activities. And I hear uh, Ken is actually going to be involved in part of those this year. So I heard he's going to be the suspect, fun. I guess, in one of the forensic <laughs> and, science uh, yeah, ones. Yeah, so look forward to uh, being part of that Explore Camp. Love engaging with the kids. And uh, I bring my uh, pet lobster, Claude, along to uh, enjoy some of those adventures as well. Mm-hmm. So hope you can uh, check those out for your kids, your grandkids. Mention those to your church, church family and acquaintances, uh, homeschool co-ops, all those things. So that's all the news we've got for you today. Thank you for joining us, and God bless. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.